All right. Hello. Um, we ready? Okay, so we're going to get started. More people will come, and that's fine. <laughs> can't, can't go anywhere with this guy. It's nice to have you, Matt. Nice to see you. Um, hi, friends. It's so nice to have you all here. I, before we get started, so I want to I wanna do, I think I want to say one thing about, I don't know where everyone is in, in the room right now. I know that for the last week, we've all been in a lot of different places. And, and with your permission, I've been looking forward to this for a very long time. And I'd really like to talk about what we are going to talk about. And uh, I might even try to be funny. I'll try. I can't promise. And that is not uh, because a little piece of me isn't crying inside, but because I really want to be here with all of you. And it's late at night and it's been a long week. And maybe if a little humor helps the Torah go down, that will be nice. Um, so uh, I, I do want to remind everyone that tomorrow night, uh, in addition to having a regular service, which I invite everyone to come to, um, this is what it means to be a Jew, that we show up and we're here for each other, we pray with each other. Um, tomorrow before Shabbat technically begins, so at 5.30, um, Rabbi Cooper and myself and our rabbinic intern Lily and our Chazan and Hallie, I think, also, and I'm, I'm we're all going to be here doing Shira Sibur, which is an Israeli custom of getting together and singing um, some Israeli songs. So at five, some 5.30 to 6, we're going to sing together, just sing. We're not, we're not, there won't be speeches, there won't be just to be together, to sing some songs. Uh, and then there'll be a service tomorrow evening that will be um, a regular service, but a little irregular too. And then Shabbat morning, I invite everyone to please come um, there's going to be a lot going on and we are going to say a lot of extra prayers and we'll talk about what's going on and all of that there. So I invite you to please come to those things. Uh, and tonight we're going to talk about Torah and humans, and it's probably going to wend its way into the issues of the day as well. Um, also sound good. Awesome. Uh, so we are here to talk about something and just, I want to do a little bit of an, there's this like a rally can't talk without like six different introductions and I apologize. So we're going to do three sessions this month with me and then we're going to move on to better teachers after that. And we're going to and and the, but the goal is my three sessions are on the same topic. They will sort of build off of each other, but if you have to miss next week and then you want to jump in into it's okay. It's not like a completely linear thing. Um, nothing I do is completely linear, and so it will be fine. Um, and I believe the same is true of the others. So if you have to miss one, it's okay to hop in for the others uh, as you come and join us in this learning. And I want to thank you guys all for being a part of this. Um, Hallie and I sort of dreamt it up uh, a year ago, and it's great to see so many people interested in this, which is great. So what we're going to talk about tonight and the next two weeks, I think I called it It's Hard to Be a Human. And I thought we would talk about what the rabbis have to say about the human condition. Why, here's this, the starting question before we look at a text. Why do I care what, first of all, what, is, what do I mean when I say the human condition? 
this is like five five bonus points. Not that you know, it's a little. There's no there's no there's no right definition of the human condition. Um, what is a given about life and being human? Very nice, very nice. So, right. So we're talking about sort of the essence of what it means to be a human. Why? do I look to religion when I want to talk about the essence of what it means to be a human? Guidance in what way? Ah, okay, so that, by the way, that is a whole assumption you just made that being human is good and that we want to be more human, right? Which is not necessarily a given, right? We could also say being human sort of by definition is bad and our job is to be as not human as possible, but that's a different religion and we're gonna talk about another time, right? So, okay, what else? Why do I care? Yeah, let's, we're just a little bit around and then we're gonna read some text, I promise. Oh, that's a fun little, little linguistic. By the way, let's just shout names because while we while we do this, so the people sort of get to know. So you want to shout your name? Uh, sure, Josh Deneo. <laughs> okay, great. Um, <laughs> so I guess name and whatever other random attachment information you'd like to put on that. Okay, so so humane meaning what? Can you explain, Josh, for us? What do you mean by humane? So, it, and, and specifically, I guess where I was thinking is, do you mean, right, in how we act, right? How a human, so there's the essence of what it is to be human, which is going to lead to the essence of what it means to live as a human, right? By the way, that's next week. Okay, but we're going to get there. So what, okay, so, and, and why, again, why do I care about what religion, why am I looking at religion and not sociology or psychology or law? Oh, there's a thing there. Or uh, no one wanted to tell me that I was about to break the Cantor's thing. <laughs> okay, yes, please. Nice. So, what? Because we're in shul, and the right answer whenever you're in shul is God. Okay? Whenever a rabbi asks a question, so you get uh, 50 bonus points for Gryffindor for being the first person to mention God. Right? Because, so part of why I'm reaching for religion for this is what did God do? Yes, created us. And so if you want to know what it means to be human, go to the source. Right? And so if we purport to know how God created or what God created or why God created and maybe God even left us some documents to try to tease out what that is, right? we're really going all the way back to the source. Which doesn't mean that the idea of guidance or how we act isn't also correct, but there is a piece of why we go to religion because it has that divine authority with a capital D and a capital A. Yeah, sorry. Okay, great. Great. Right. See, I told you we'd wind our way back to the stuff. So, no, no, but this is great because religion, if we're talking about 
creation, that's one thing. If we're talking about how we should act, religion has been the guiding force that has helped humans figure out how to act for like, I don't know, 4,000 years, right? It's only the last century or two that we've been looking at like, well, maybe that's not exactly correct, and there's like the Greeks and fine ones, but like, it's the idea that we're looking at other things besides religion to figure out how I should be humane, how I should be human, what I should do. And so if we want to know, we look to religion to see what the guidance has been. All right, let's do it for a little bit, okay? So yeah, last one, and then we've got to read text. Otherwise, why are we here? How does a belief in God lead us to a moral code? Uh, yes, there's two ways. That this is how we're gonna do it fast, right? By the way, no, this is something that I think we're gonna get to in the third week, but, right, the short is either because God said do it, and when God can, you know, zap you and says do it, you do it, and so it's, that's the sort of, no, it's, a, it's a, an externally placed moral code, or, and I think actually, I, this isn't a test, but I think I mentioned this on Yom Kippur, or part of it is that monotheism actually leads to ethics because everything that happens to me and everything that happens to you is because of what we have done. It's not, we are not pawns in the game of chess from Zeus and Hephaestus, right, where if something bad happens, you can just say, well, the gods are just fighting, so the Battle of Troy happened, right? It's actually, everything has to do with us and God because there's only one God. But we'll talk about Yechezkel Kaufman and the creation of ethics in two weeks. For now, we're going to talk about the creation of us because that's what we want to do. To get to what does it mean to be a human, we're going to look at creation. Now, who wants to tell you, tell us what we all know to be factually true about how God created humans? Right. Okay, good. So what we're looking at is what the rabbis imagine God's creation process looked like, from which we are going to try to ascertain what the rabbis assumed about human beings, because none of us know what God actually meant, and, you know, someday soon Ed will tell us uh, what God meant um, when it happened. But, you know, yeah, yeah, you want to trash talk, Mr. Snyder, we got this. Okay, sorry. What did I learn? The rabbi was really mean to a very nice man. Okay, so let's take a look at the Breshi Rabbah, and this one we're going to do together. So, by the way, this is not a class on all the different things we're going to read. There is no quiz on what Bereshit Rabbah is and when it's from and all that. So sometimes I put the, the dates and things on here just so you know, but like, it's okay if we're not focused on that. So this is a collection of rabbinic stories about the Torah um, that was gathered between the 2nd and 9th century CE. Um, okay, quoting rabbis uh, about it. So someone want to read out loud with a big loud voice what Rabbi Shimon said? Thank you, please. divided into various factions, thank you, and various groups. Some of them were saying, let him not be created. And some of them were saying, let him be created. Okay, stop. So what do we see already before human beings even show up? 
What's going, what do the rabbis imagine is happening here? Disagreement about, yeah, yeah, say your, say your name. There, right, right. I just said that the whole point of monotheism is that we don't have this, you know, sort of uh, Iliad and Odyssey of the different divine beings fighting each other, whatever. But I lied because there's <laughs> angels and there's, and they're disagreeing about specifically what? Yes. So like God called a staff meeting and was like, I've been thinking that we should expand our product into corporeal flesh. Trust me on this one. It's going to be big. And the angels are disagreeing about whether or not this should happen. And they take sides. So now let's read. And, and we learn this, of course, through Psalm 85, which says, Kindness and truth have met. Righteousness and peace have touched which, by the way, another time we can talk about the beauty of the rabbinic imagination, that that line, when they say, right, kindness and, uh, and righteousness have met, like, that, oh, that must mean that they were once fighting and then they came back. And it's like, <laughs> it's great. Okay, keep going, please. So what's the disagreement about? Kindness said, let him be created as he performs acts of kindness. Truth said, let him not be created as he is all full of lies. Righteousness said, let him be created as he performs acts of righteousness. He said, let him not be created as he is all full of discord. Okay, so what's going on here? The different angels, apparently, by the way, angels are angels of specific attributes, right? Which is not always like a given with angels, but we're pretty loose about what we think about it, you know, so we can have it. And what are they going back and forth here on? How is it the origin of philosophy? That's cool. Mm -hmm. Great. So, right, so the angels can tell just by looking at the blueprints, <laughs> right, that we are going to be some kind of um, bifurcated is not the right word I'm looking for, um, right? But we will, we will contain the potential for both good and bad things in us. Right, which is kind of cool and kind of crazy, right? That not, so what are the rabbis saying about, so, and, and let's just go through it, right? So what do we have in our favor? We're going to be kind and we're going to be righteous. What do we have against us? We're going to be full of lies and discord. Anyone see anything in that? What, what do the two good ones have in common, kindness and righteousness? And what do the bad ones have in common? If, if you want to see it or not, I, this, this one is all me. This is not the rabbis. I'm just stretching here. So, but what do you, anyone see something in this? Yeah. Oh, nice. So part of it is that we will, and I know someone already said B'Tselem Elohim, right? So part of it is we're going to get to what does it mean to be a human to try to be like God in some way. Um, I was thinking about it in this way, which is that kindness and righteousness, I think, necessarily require another human, right? I can't really be kind in a room by myself. I can be kind to myself, Brene Brown, yes, fine. But, <laughs> I, but I, righteousness and kindness mostly involve other people. 
And so we are learning about this, that at the outset, the rabbis understand that the essence of what it means to be human, the good things we can do, require a community and being around other people without even sort of getting into it. Now, they also see that that's going to lead to problems because of the whole, you know, discord thing, right? But it's, I just think that that's an interesting thing that most of these have something to do with other humans. It's not just solo attributes. Okay. Um, we're going to skip over the casting truth out and down and whatever, and that's how Brandeis got its seal on the thing, but we'll talk about it later. Okay. Um, the, yeah, of course. Please, I should say, stop me anytime if I either go too fast, say things we don't understand, or I'm wrong. Yeah. I don't know about the universe, but, and, you, and I thank you for bringing this up because I wanted to say this too, which is, excuse me, but this dichotomy is built into the system on purpose, right? So when you're being untruthful and you think, oh, I got to, you know, atone for that later, when you are part of discord, that's not a bug, that's a feature, right? That is part of what it means to be human, which is, I think, fascinating, right? It's, it's, I, I made a joke about the other guys and the fall of man, but right, like this does not seem to be saying that there was a time when humans were absolutely perfect in every single way, and it wasn't until we ate the apple and we left. This seems to be saying from the get-go, God and the angels knew that there was going to be strife and lies involved in creating humans, but apparently the, the righteousness and the kindness was enough to want to do it or some, something, right? Which is interesting. Oh, interesting. I, I don't, I mean, my guess is because it's called the angel of kindness, that it was a force in the universe already or something, but I, yeah, that's, that's a good point too. Um, okay, let's just look at the next paragraph of this, just to, just to point out, I just, we're going to go over this, the, their fun play on the Hebrew, though, it's kind of fun, um, about Rabbi Shimon says ma'od, which refers to man, because it's the same letters as Adam, just like flipped around, but you got to, if you're like, I don't know, playing a New York Times app game to get it there. But um, but if you keep looking, so Rav Hunan, while the ministering angels were busy deliberating with one another and engaging with one another, the Holy One, blessed be God, created human beings and said to them, why are you deliberating? Man has already been created. I just think that is a great, that is a great move there. Like they're all sitting there like point counterpoint and God's just like, boop, there's humans. It's done. But what is that? But, but what does that teach us, again, about the essence of humanity, at least vis-a-vis -vis the rabbinic imagination here? What is God, what, what's God's feeling towards us? God apparently wants us in the world, right? Just this way, and God, like, did the boss thing where he, like, made the angels think that they were trying to have their input and whatever, <laughs> but really God was going to do it no matter what and just did it, which I think is an interesting thing, right? Because it also says, what does it mean the, in essence to be human? So what do we learn from just from Breshi Rabbah? It means what? We are, we're not perfect. We've got good qualities and bad. That's built into who we are. And what else? 
we, we're intentionally made by God, right? That we, exactly right, right? We are intentionally made and God wants us here being who we are, which is an amazing thing to think and feel and say about what it means to be a human, right? That, that what we are is exactly what we're supposed to be and God wanted us here, which is kind of cool. Okay, let's do, uh, yeah, we got time for two comments and then we're going to move to the next one because it's fun. It involves, you know, excrement. Yeah. Right. Well, but you, I think you actually gave it away in the middle of what you said, which is, so if, if we're created with, with falsehood, but also righteousness and kindness, but also discord, so then what's the point of the Torah? To try to keep us on the side of the good ones, right? No, I mean, that's sort of the, the idea that we have is that we're created with all of our flaws and frailty as a part of it. And therefore, we need Torah and ritual and these things to keep us in line, right? In some ways. And there's, I mean, here's a fun midrash that, that yeah. What? I mean, I think that, that this seems to be saying objectively truth, harmony, peace, and righteousness are good, right? And the other ones are bad. But, but yeah, no, yes. By the way, there's a fun, this is just a weird one, So I, but the, the rabbis in the Midrash say, why, uh, why do we have lips and teeth? Anyone heard this one? This is super obscure. There's like, like a million bonus points for this one. Why do we have lips and teeth, both lips and teeth? Because the tongue is so powerful that it had to be guarded by not one, but two walls to keep it in check, right? Which is so interesting and crazy, but it also shows this idea that God like created this evil power, but also tried to rein it in all in just the way God formed our, our heads, right? It's like there is this interesting sort of thing that the rabbis have to dance around because we believe in one God of like, we obviously see that humans can be good and bad, and God created us, so how do we jive those, right? Either God created us perfect and we messed it up somewhere along the way, or God created us this way and we're all part of it, right? Which, which is what, what they're saying. So let's look at another one. Doctor, please, you haven't said anything yet. I got one and, and then we'll, yeah. How do I square it with Noah and the flood, meaning... Why, if God created us with the flaws and everything, then why would God wipe everybody out? So, I mean, I can make up my own theological, which is, which this seems to jive with is that, that it went out of, it, it went out of whack. Like, like the experiment didn't work, right? They were going way too evil. And so God had to like shake the extra sketch and like do it again or something, right? But which, which is sort of what the Torah seems to be saying, right? That God is like, okay, this is bad. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to kill all of these ones, but I'm going to save one, and we're going to try it again. And, and it, there is probably not a coincidence that after the flood is the first time God gives laws, 
Right, the first, right after the flood is the first time that God gives laws to human beings. So maybe God's like, okay, we're going to figure this out now. I'm not going to just leave you alone. You're going to need a few laws. Right, well, then we need more laws because obviously we need more laws. Okay, so, yeah. Yes, right, free will 100%. By the way, so flip the page. Right, no, this is, so flip the page. And, um, but I should also say, I have, a, I have a bit of a problem in that I can't not give at four page long source sheets. <laughs> I don't expect us to go through all of these tonight. It's okay if we don't. I don't, sometimes people feel anxious. They're like, but we didn't get to the end. It's okay. If we skip around, it's okay. Um, the Torah will still be true, even if we don't read it. So, um, so if you look at this, I'll just tell you the story at the top of page two here, because it's a little involved. But basically, it's another rabbinic imagination of God creating human beings. And God says, right, I'm going to create human beings. And same idea. And, and the angels are like, don't do it. The rabbis think the angels really don't like us. Like, that's a big thing all over. And so the angels are like, don't do it. And, um, or should I do it? And the angels are like, well, what will be their actions? And God's like, this is what humans are going to be like. And the angels go, oh my God, do not make that. And so God takes his finger and God destroys the angels. And then creates another group of angels and is like, hey, should I make it human beings? And the angels say, well, what are they going to do? And God's like, here's what they're going to do. And the angels say, oh my God, don't do that. So God's like, boom, and destroys those angels. And then creates a third group of angels and says, hey, should I create human beings? And the angels are like, do what you want. <laughs> but, but the point of this story, I think, other than just fun, is angels have to be perfect servants to God. And if they aren't, they get destroyed. Right? If an angel ceases to be perfect, they cease to exist. And humans, by definition, are not that, right? We are not perfect. We are the things that are going to be uh, this and that. And some people would say, don't make it. And some people would say, whatever, whatever. But God's still going to make us, right? So it's like we are, in essence, not angels for that reason. And speaking of us not being angels, go back to the first page. This one's just fun. I'm, I don't even have that much... Uh, and interesting to say about it, but um, someone want to read this six statements here were said with regard to uh, humans uh, in three ways we're like angels and three ways we're not. Who's going to, who wants to read in a big loud voice? I'm always in the Here, we got a reader. All right, here we go. Uh, six statements were said with regard to humans. In three ways, they are like ministering angels, and in three ways, they are like animals. The Baraita explains. Don't worry about what a Baraita is. It's an older text of uh, rabbinic thought tucked into the middle of the Talmud. In three ways, they are like ministering angels. They have intelligence like ministering angels, and they walk upright like ministering angels, and they speak in the holy tongue like ministering angels. In three ways, humans are like animals. They eat and drink like animals, and they multiply like animals, and they emit excrement like animals. Yeah. <laughs> Bet you didn't think you were going to say emit excrement in the middle of the chapel tonight, did you? 
Okay, so what, what, am, what am I teasing out here about the nature of human beings based on this, this piece of the Talmud? Uh, I mean, yeah, but like what, what is it? What's it? Right, and, and we are unique, right? So the, the overarching reason why I put this text on here is that we are unique in that we have both heavenly and earthly qualities, right? In a way that other things, not to like malign the trees and the squirrels, but apparently, right, like they are purely earthly. And then there's the angels, and, and by the way, demons. I actually, the other part of this is how humans uh, are, or how demons are like humans and demons are like angels, but I figured that was a little weird. Um, but the, right, that they're over here, and we're in the middle. And we have qualities that are heavenly and look up, and we have qualities that are earthly and look down, which is kind of cool. Anything about them that we want to note here? Yeah, that's an, that was, by the way, that's one that I, I made a note to look up in the commentary, What if anyone says anything about it. Rashi doesn't, and then I didn't look up anyone else, but I should have. Um, but yeah, my, my best guess is that that is this reference to the reason why we stand with our legs together during the Amidah, because angels only have one leg, and they don't have two, and so and this I'm blowing people's minds right now, right? And so the reason why you have your legs together, Amidah, is to be a little bit more heavenly and look like an angel. Um, yeah, a lot of, a lot of, you know, yeah. Um, so I don't know if that's it. It's also, it also maybe is, oh, the other thought that I had about walking upright is it is in some ways demonstrably the one thing that we do that no other animal on the planet does. And so if you were looking around the natural world and you're like, well, we kind of seem like monkeys or whatever, right? Like we sort of do all those that we know we eat and we drink and we have excrement and we whatever multiply, like, like, like animal, like we do all those things, but we walk upright and no one else does. And you might think to yourself, like that must be something that is heavenly or divine. That's the, that's the best I got there. Um, otherwise, what are the other two that, that we do that are like angels? We think right? The intelligence piece that we understand that there is a, a, a non-physical world. I think that's sort of what thought is, this idea that there's a non-physical world. Um, and we talk, right? We speak Hebrew, we speak the holy tongue, which we're going to get to in a second. Um, we also sing. Um, yeah, that is true. That is true. Yeah. Spoiler alert, I'm not going to help. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh huh. Right. Right. So I would invite you to take my It's Hard to Be an Angel class uh, that we're going to do. No, no, it's a, it's a great question. And there's a bunch of different ideas of what angels are about and why. And so we should talk, like another time I'd love to talk about it because angels are fascinating and they change over the course of the religion. Like they're different in the Torah than they are for the rabbis, than they are for the medievals, than they are for, uh, like it's, it's a totally fascinating thing, but not for right now. Um, <clears throat> Okay, 
Let's go to Genesis. We're on cha chapter 2, chapter 2, page 2, also chapter 2 of Genesis. So let's look now in the Torah. So what we just read was a bunch of rabbinic imaginations about what the creation of human beings was like. Now we're going to read it in the Torah. So in the Torah it says, <clears throat> excuse me, Vayetzer Adonai Elohim et ha'adam afar min ha'adama. Okay, so God creates. And by the way, Yetzer, right, Vayetzer to, to create, that is a creation that only God can do. Right? Nope, sorry, other way around. Yetzer is what other people can do. Bara is the one that only God can do. So it's more, it's like molding, molding, fashioning out of clay. And literally, right, out of the dust of the earth or whatever that word means. right, and he blew into his nose. Nishmat Chaim. Adam la nefesh chaya. So God blows into a, so God, this is the, right, by the way, second chapter, I didn't, well, there's only so much we can do. And we're going to talk about the first chapter of Genesis next week. But, right, first chapter of Genesis is the God just like, now there's humans, right? Second chapter of Genesis is God making this stuff and fashioning it and building it and then blowing this nostril. And so we get this nishamat chayim, this um, breath of life. And then we get ha'adam la nefesh chaya, which means something like ha'adam means a person, a human. What does nefesh mean? Soul, right? Or it's probably in Ugaritic, it means throat. It's like your throat, but it's it's a soul. And chaya means life, chai, right? So this is the moment where we get something that none of the rest of creation got. We, because other other things are tov ma'od, other things are good, other things are whatever, but we get a nefesh chayai, a living soul. What does that mean? Stunned silence is the right answer. No one has any idea what it means, right? We don't know what a nefesh chayai is. So different. Someone said they did. Oh, you got a doctor? Please enlighten us. It is the thank you to the medical professionals in the room. This is God's just trying to get his CPR certifications. Yeah. Um, we, we walked by, by the way. You know that the teachers were getting like recertified the other day? And they're just like, we're all those dummies on the ground. And I walked by with my kids and they were like, what is happening? Like, it was, they were so, so scared. Okay. So. So if you look, now we don't know what it means, and the different commentaries have different ideas. So what we're going to look at just for one of the commentaries is a translation of the Torah into Aramaic. It's the, here's just fun history for a second, but I promise it's only going to be 10 seconds of fun history. So there was no translation of the Torah into anything but Hebrew that was, you know, like official. And that was a problem because by the second century in the land of Israel, not that many Jews spoke, you know, Hebrew. So they didn't understand it and they needed, in order to understand it, a translation. So along comes Unculus Hager, right? Unculus the convert. And he, uh, and he translates the Torah into Aramaic. And God, according to the rabbis, God's voice boomed from heaven the moment he finished and said, my name is God and I approve this message, right? <laughs> like God said that this is a divinely sanctioned translation of the Torah so we can lean on it like 
It's the Torah itself, which is only important because Uncleus changes things when he translates. By definition, by every translation is a commentary by definition. So it's kind of fun because we get to look at things and think, oh, this is a divinely sanctioned commentary. So, and if you look, that was a long way to get to one little thing, but I think it's important. God then formed man from the dust of the ground. He blew into his nostrils the breath of life. So far, so good. And so man became a, a living, speaking soul, right? He, um, he translates the nefesh chaya as ruach mam lala, which means the ability to speak, which is kind of interesting. So according to Unculus, what is the essence of human beings? Language. Language and speech. Okay, so let's unpack this for 10 seconds. You know what? We haven't done this and you knew it was coming. Turn to the person next to you. If you don't know them, introduce yourself. Say, hi, my name is Ethan. It's nice to meet you. I will only do this once a time, I promise. And what, so what does it mean? A, what does it mean to say the essence of, of humanity is speaking? Is it true? Is it true? And so, and what does it mean for us as people? That's true. So, do you agree? And what does it mean for us? 36 seconds, ready, set, go. Yes, yeah. Yeah. You were, All right, take, uh, take nine more seconds. Take a second, check the score, come back, you know, yeah. What? <laughs> okay, all right. So, so thoughts, so what's the big deal with talking? Why is that the thing? that makes us who we are. Yeah. Okay, so it might be another only us, right? Only we speak, therefore, don't tell the dolphins, but only we speak, and so it could be us. What else? Ah, uh, uh, you can only you you so you've won the best fortune cookie award for the class for the night award, right? Okay, that's good. Okay, and you said you had another one. Oh, that was you're like I'm gonna quit while I'm mad. That's good. Yeah, 
Interesting. Okay, so it's it's about it's about differentiation, but it also is about how we do the thing from the last one, right? How we lie, how we make good or bad, perhaps. Yeah. Language. That's why you need the teeth and the lips, right? Like it's often language is what gets us in trouble, and that is in essence uniquely us, like us that this kind of thing. Um, that's that's interesting. Yeah. Nice, right, so language is our operating mechanism, right? Or like it's like the way that we usually err, it's the way that we make things better. It's, by the way, it's not just the way that we make things better with other people, it's also God, right? What do we do? We, especially now by, in Uncleus's day, they were already not sacrificing, um, I believe, but like just. Um, and so, right, the, what do we, how do we make things right with God? We pray, we talk, we, okay, great. Yeah, Lisa, did you wanna? Nice. By the way, nary a more Jewish professional statement was said than too many holidays already. <laughs> but yeah, uh, <laughs> um, someone's ready for cheshvan. Um, that's interesting, though. I, I like that. I, I that, yeah, yeah. So part of it is, again, by the way, it's communal, right? Language is something that we do with other people. Now, we can do it just with God, right? So it is important. And how we figure things out, not only because we use language to debate, but I don't want to get all like linguistics on us here, but it's literally how we make sense of the universe, right? The way that we understand things is through the language that we use, right? And this, the oft used but not accurate thing of, right, that like the Inuits have a thousand words for snow and or whatever, right? Because there's these different kinds. And then the joke is, of course, that in Hebrew, there's like 50 different ways to say speak because Jews are talkers, right? But the idea that we use language to actually define the parameters of our universe, right? And create and, and with it, which is incredible. And who else creates with language? That's right, God, right? So it's also part of it is going back to this B'Tselem Elohim imitatio Dei, right? Like we're trying to be like God in this moment. And we use speech, and it's something we have, the angels have, other people don't, except for the dolphins. Okay, let's take one more, and then we'll hear. Yeah, please. Nice. So that goes to something that we were talking about over here, which is when they say language, it could be communication, right, of some sort. And so it's not necessarily specifically that one needs to be able to speak. Yeah. Did you want to say something? Please. Right. 
Nice. Oh. Ooh, bonus. That's winning the night. That's a good one. All right. But so first of all, right, language, by the way, tune in next week, right? Uh, no, no, in the Torah, not just not here, right? Because next week, when the people build a giant skyscraper that's so tall that God doesn't like it very much, how does God stop that from ever happening again? Language. language confuses our language, right? What? Did I set off an alarm? Okay, um, so I know I'm loud, but God's like, stop. Um, but so, so A, that's very interesting. It's how we build, it's how we create but it is also how we pass on, right? You don't have history if you don't really, if you don't have language, because you can communicate something from one generation to the next. It's a really interesting and beautiful point. Nicely done. Um, so with that, um, <coughs> let's go to the next text. Um, this one is, I think, a little, a little cool, but it takes just a second. Um, I'll read it because I'm going to just interrupt us anyways. So. Um, Yalkut Shimoni, a different collection of midrash of rabbinic um, of rabbinic stories about the Torah. This one is from indeterminate uh, time. We don't know when it is. It's it could be early. It could be very very late. It's kind of unclear, but that doesn't matter. But just you know, I I looked something up. Okay, so another taught the Holy Blessed One said to the Torah, "Let us make humans." Again, this idea that God is checking in before you. So. The Torah replied, right? The Torah, not this isn't the angels. The Torah says humans will be short of days, full of conflict, and fall into the hands of sin. The Torah is like, come on, God, why are you, excuse me, doing this? Um, and even if you are patient with it, it will be as if it never came into the world. God replied, is it for not that I am called slow to anger and full of compassion? God gathered the dust from the first human from the four corners of the world, red, black, white, and green. Now, by the way, so just again, why? So God, the Torah says humans are going to just be horrible. Why would you do this? And God said, again, not, oh, it's fine or it'll be good, but just God's like, you know what? I'm patient. I'm slow to anger. I can handle it. Uh, which I think is kind of an interesting thing. So we're gathering dust. We're gathering dust from the four corners of the world, red, black, white, and green. Red is the blood, black is the entrails, green for the body. Um, the medical professionals in the world can tell. It's, like, it's kind of like Galen here, the four humors. But um, why from the four corners of the earth? Here's the part on top of page three. So that if one comes from the east to the west and arrives at the end of his life, as he neared departing from the world, the land will not say to him, the dust of your body isn't mine. Go back to where you were created. Rather, every place a person goes, a part of him is from there and a part of him is returning there. God, and those are the next piece too, and we'll talk about it. God gathered the dust from the four corners of the world. Um, Green wire from the four corners of the world. He's the west. Uh, wait, did I just double it? Oh, I just doubled it. Sorry, I thought there was a separate thing there. So, okay. So why? So what am I learning about the essence of humanity through this? Because it's it's, a, it's slightly different, but I think it's interesting. What does this say about humans? We are we are all human. We're all connected. We are all made out of the same dust. Right, and that there is so it's an interesting thing. I think that they're saying that we are all physically connected. 
We are all made out of the same dust. It does not matter what corner of the earth you are from. The dust is the same. And God did that on purpose, which I think is interesting and a cool way to read it. Yeah, Jay. Yeah. Yeah. Great. Right. This is a great point. So, so let me unpack it for a second and get, let me know if I got it right. What you're saying is, in all these different texts where there's this sort of imagined debate, whether it's between God and the angels or God and the Torah, of like, we should create humans. No, yeah, yeah. Why do the rabbis feel the need to justify the creation of human beings, right? Which you, you could easily see them not doing that and just be like, well, we're here, so Shabbat Shalom, let's move on and talk about like other things. It's a really interesting, really, really interesting point. Um, are you, I'm going to do the rabbi thing. You should know it coming when you see it because you have two in your uh, you know, family. Why do you think that the rabbis uh, want to envision the God having to justify creating human beings? <laughs> um, <laughs> anyone want to think about it? Why, why do we think that God has to justify the creation of human beings? So great. So one of the answers is because God's bored and wants to create, which is which would make sense. And it would, by the way, then make sense that you create a thing with a praying, speaking spirit that's gonna get into trouble and get into right. It's like you don't. This is this this reference is definitely definitely too old. But like when they created the Matrix and it was perfect, and then everyone got bored and they were waking up. And thanks, Matt. Matt knows exactly what I'm talking about. But if you create these human beings that are like gonna mess up then it gives god something to do and to be entertained by and okay great that's one idea did you jay you looked at your uh, okay what else yeah uh yes and then yes and then yes Yeah, well, again, winding our way back to the current day, it doesn't take a lot to look around and be like, why, why, why? Who thought this was a good idea, right? And, and that we need to have some justification or we want to see some justification. Why are we here? Why would God create us to be here, right? And so when we imagine it's to communicate, it's to be righteous, it's to this, it's to that, it's to overcome the problems of the beginnings, it's to reform from when we got mixed up of it, whatever it, whatever it is, to be like God, to perfect ourselves. But we need to have some sort of reason for the fact that A, we exist at all, or B, we're kind of crummy sometimes, right? And so we have to try to come up with that. That's, that, that was my, my read is that, actually the human voice in those stories is the angels like the rabbis imagining themselves being the angels being like this is not a great idea why are you creating people like this right um 
Okay, there was a couple other hands, unless we, 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 we covered it. Okay, so let's do, um, I think we've got time, yes? Okay, we got five minutes. So we're, okay, so here we're gonna do the one, we're gonna do Aristotle and one other thing, and we're not gonna do the second, the whole rest of this, I'll tell you what it is, and if you wanna look at it ahead of time, you can, or maybe we'll just do it next time, is, um, God looks at the fundamental human situation when God creates the first human being, and we are alone. And God says, Lo tova dam levado. It's not good for human beings to be alone. I will make an ezer kenegdo. No one knows what that means. I will make an ezer, which means help, and keneged, which means against, and that will solve the lonely human's problem. And then what I gave you was like five different classical commentaries on Ezra Konegdo to see what the relationship between men and women as they envisioned it. So let's do that next week. But for this week, we're going to finish with Aristotle, obviously. So Aristotle says, um, someone want to read Aristotle aloud in a big, loud voice? It's the English one. I didn't give you the Greek. Go for it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, Aristotle. It's not true. I looked this up earlier today. By the way, you can find some adorable videos online of animals laughing. If you want to, Ken, don't check my you know, YouTube Google history in the, in the office there. It's just a lot of puppies laughing. Um, but it's not. Other animals laugh. By the way, how far the rabbit hole I fell uh, is there's even an article about Aristotle himself probably knew that, but okay, fine. Because in other Aristotle talks about going hunting with his dogs and that they smile and so he tickles their ears so that they smile more, which you're like, well, then why did you say this? But whatever. In any event, right, Aristotle says that the essence of humanity, right, in some ways, or that we, another one of these things, like standing upright or speaking that we do that no one else does, is we laugh. Which is interesting because it says something about the idea of what it means to be a human, right? To find joy. And it's doubly interesting when, and this, I even I self-censored and didn't give you all these sources, but I'm just going to tell you about it real quick and then we're going to say goodnight and go check the score. But the rabbis are talking about when a child is born for the purposes of circumcision, right? When do you count, start the eight-day timer? And the rabbis who were not doctors, imagine some very weird things that might happen, like a child comes out and then goes back in, and then like, do you count the, do you count the from that or not, or do you, or if you hear a child, like from in, like, like whatever, like there's all kinds of weird stuff, I'm not a doctor, I don't know what happens. But there's one statement where they say that if you hear a child screaming, or if you, or no, that's the one that I gave it away, if you hear a baby cry, you start the timer, the eight-day timer. So even if they cry and then go back in or whatever, and then wait, but you you start the timer. And one of the commentaries on the Shulchan Aruch in that moment says, because crying is the essence of what it means to be a part of this world. 
And there's something fascinating in this idea of a Greek, the, the Greek idea that, right, laughter is this moment when we become humans. Aristotle in a different parts talks about that a baby becomes a human when they laugh at 40 days is the first time you laugh. I didn't time it. I don't know if that's right. Right. And for us, we say that crying is a part of the essence of what it means to be a human. And so let's do a quick recap before we say goodnight. So what have we learned about the rabbinic idea of what it means to be a human? We are all of us inherently what? We are good and bad. We have the potential for both, right? What else about us? We all have, we all have a soul of some kind, right? That is linked to God in some way. Most of these things are about community, right? Kindness, righteousness, lies, talking, right? We exist with other people. Lo tovadam leo livado. It's not good to be alone. Okay, what else? We are made by God despite the fact that people, things, tried to warn God about us, right? God wants us here. And, and by the way, the thing, Jay, that we didn't say is the other reason why the rabbis imagine that God wants us here is because it empowers us, right? It makes us feel good to know that God wants us here, right? So, of course, we're going to tell that story. So we know that we are flawed. We have the potential for good and for bad. We have to put some kind of guardrails around that, which we're going to talk about next week, actions and how we're going to behave towards one another. But we know that God wants us here in some way and that part of what it means to be human is to experience the world around us. And by that, I'm, pu I'm pulling on the sources about eating and drinking and, and multiplying, but also this joy and sadness of life, right? We are not like the angels who are meant to be immovable objects, all, all perfection, all kindness, all whatever. We are meant to grow and to change and to have joy and to have sorrow. And there's a little bit of, it's not, it's not a debate because for us it's just tears, right? Of what it means to be human. The, the moment we start the timer of you have now entered into the world is when you have felt the sadness of what it means to be a part of the human race, which is a fascinating thing and a somewhat understandable thing for the rabbis to have thought about Jewish tradition and Jewish history, that that sadness and joining in the communal sadness is actually what makes us human and that we all have to do that together. Thank you so much, friends, for joining us for this.